0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi
1: Yosef Weinberg When you cry, you see a tear. That's what you see. But what is the story behind the tears? There's a soul. Your heart is broken. You can't see that. You can't take that to a laboratory. I can take the tear to a laboratory and I can study it and I can dissect it. And I can, but I can't take the emotion to a laboratory. I can't put it under a microscope. I'm sad. I'm upset. I feel hurt. I feel lonely. That's something intangible. But that's really what's going on. The, the tear is only the tip of the iceberg as a symptom. The real story is what you don't see. That's the soul. So too, everything that happens in this world is just the tears, just the tip of the iceberg. You see the hurricane, you see the snowstorm, and you see this, the earthquake, whatever happens in this world. But we're just seeing the body. We don't see the soul. We don't see the divine, the godly, that's really, that's really creating everything, and that's really moving everything and doing everything. So that seems to be a good analogy. Just like the soul fills the body, so too, Hashem is the soul of the world, and the world is the body. The scientist only sees the body. Science could take the tear, categorize it, define it, label it. But he can't. He doesn't know. He, he's missing the whole story. The inner, the why, the, the soul, what's really going on, that totally eludes, eludes the scientist. So that's a way of understanding the world. And munah, faith, in Hebrew, comes from the word immun, imunim, practice. Training. Faith is also a question of training. You have to train how you look at the world. Most of us intuitively look at the world very external, very mechanical. We see the body. And that's our whole reality. The scientific, rational explanation. It takes training. It's counterintuitive. It takes training to reorient yourself. It's deeply ingrained in us. It's, so, it's such a habit It's so deeply ingrained in us to look at the world externally, superficially. You have to undo that, and it takes a lifetime of training to be able to look at things differently. When you see something, remember, it's just the tear. It's just the symptom, not the inside story. So you would think that that's a good muscle, it's a good parable, explaining the relationship between God and the world and the body and the soul, just like the soul it dominates the body. the body. The soul is in control of the body. So too, God dominates the world and God is in control of the world. Now the Alter Rebbe said, we learned last week, that it's not a good analogy because there's a big difference between the soul and the body and God and the world. The soul is defined by the body. Nitfas Bahaguf. The soul is defined by the body. The soul, when your soul gives you life, the soul can't take a break and suddenly give life to another body. The soul is connected to your body. It's captured by the body. It's defined by the body. It's grabbed by the body. Even though the body is completely nullified before the soul... You don't share a soul? No, but that's that's the divine, the Jewish... General soul, Klal Yisrael, but your individual soul, even though we're one people, but your soul can suddenly take a trip and, and give life to someone else. Your soul is in your body, and your body exclusively. So the soul, even though the soul transcends the body, the soul lives on after the body dies. The soul existed before the body was born. The soul is really transcends the body. nevertheless the soul is captured by the body it's affected by the body there is a relationship between the soul and the body there's a body mind connection if the body is not healthy it will affect your soul if your body is hurting you're physically uncomfortable it will affect your soul your soul can't study Torah your soul is affected if you're troubled, if you're physically ill it affects your soul of course, if your soul is ill, surely it affects your body. If you're depressed, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to Ill, illness.
0: So the soul is in the, in the mind. The soul is in the makshaba.
1: The soul is in the mind, but it's also connected to the body, and it's affected by the body. Not only the soul affects the body, that goes without saying, but even the body affects the soul. You see it, a person who's healthy, a person, let's say, after your exercise, when a person exercises... And you feel great. Your soul—you're able to think differently, able to meditate differently. Your soul is able to express itself more. So, every every ounce of health in your body positively affects your soul. And if your body is ill, if you don't take care of yourself, you don't exercise. You don't. The Rebbe Marash, the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, once said he was very ill. He died very, passed away very young, the youngest of all the Rebbe's. One time, the doctor, as part of his medicine, the doctor says he has to run up the hill, a steep hill. He has to go up the hill. He has to exercise. And after he ran up the hill, he said it had a tremendous impact on him. That something that he, before he ran, he would need four hours to think about, to figure out. After he ran, he can do it in one hour. Because it it clears the mind. It, it, It expands your mind. When the body is healthy and the body is vibrant, it affects, it affects your mind. You're able to concentrate better and deeper and clearer clearer mind. So the, the state of the body has an impact on the mind, has an impact on the soul. Of course, the state of the soul has an impact on the body. All, all illnesses, if not most illnesses, are psychosomatic. You know, the doctor can tell us. It's your state of mind, if a person is not happy inside, a person is disturbed inside, a person is nervous inside, a person is tense inside person doesn't have love inside it will affect your your physical health if a person is vibrant his soul is vibrant you have then it will definitely impact your physical health for the positive but here we're saying that the body also affects the soul the body is cold or freezing the soul is affected because the soul is in the body and the soul is grabbed by the body and defined by the body even though the body to the soul is nothing Even when the body is gone, the soul continues to live. And the soul existed before the body was born. The soul is beyond body. But when God puts the soul and the body together, they are linked, they are connected, and one affects the other, is defined by the other. They become inseparable. And even though the soul is a senior partner, the soul totally dominates, totally prevails, and the body becomes egoless. The body is doesn't even sense itself. Unself-conscious, the body becomes almost an extension of the soul, a living, breathing extension of the soul. All that exists is the soul. Whatever the soul wants, the body automatically uh, expresses. But nevertheless, the body is still a body. And the soul is affected by by what happens to the body. Things that can only affect the body, like hot and cold. That's the analogy you used earlier. The, The soul doesn't get hot and the soul doesn't get cold. But when the body gets cold and the body gets overheated or burnt, the soul is affected. Why? Because the soul is in the body. So if the body is hurting, the soul is also hurting. With God, it's not like that. God is not affected. Even though God is the soul of the world, and He animates the world, and the world truthfully is like a body to the soul is completely nullified to the soul, the world truthfully, even though we don't feel it, but the world, truthfully, is really like as if it would be egoless. is completely nullified before God. Whatever God wants, um, the world of follows and, and does. Like the world is like a body to God. But God is not um, identified with the body, with the world. God is not defined by the world. God is not affected by the world. He remains completely Unaffected. No. Uh, He's not indifferent. When you do Torah and you do mitzvot, he's very affected by our Torah and our mitzvot. But here we're talking about the physical occurrences of the world. The material occurrences of the world, God remains totally unaffected. Um, When God is doing one thing, it doesn't mean he can't be doing another thing. Um, Even when God is busy creating all of the worlds, that doesn't engage him, it doesn't occupy him, it's, it's a meaningless event to him. And it's not, that he's affected by it or defined by it. Cold, hot, day, night, winter, summer—all the changes of the world don't affect him. God remains completely unaffected, totally transcendent. It's difficult for us to relate to it because we are not God. We don't have such a relationship. We are affected by everything we have a relationship with. We're affected by it. We are just—and the closest we can get to, to that analogy is a body and a soul. But the soul, nevertheless, the soul is affected by the body. God is not affected. The world is his body, but God is not affected by, by the world. He animates the world. He gives life to the world. He creates the world. He gives energy to the world. God is creating everything that happens in this world. And he's giving life to it. But nevertheless, he's not affected by it. It absolutely doesn't change him whatsoever. It doesn't affect him, doesn't change him whatsoever. And he says, in order to understand this, he says this is the idea of what he calls This is a very basic idea in the Hasidic philosophy. And that is that God fills all the worlds and he also surrounds all the worlds. It doesn't mean physically that God physically is outside of the world and he's inside the world. He means, and the analogy again is within a human being. Our soul has two two effects on us. One effect is that we're alive. Every part of us is alive. Every cell in our body is alive. From the toenail to the brain. And there's no difference in that level. Life. The toe is alive and the brain is alive. It's the same life. There's no difference. Your back, your front... Every cell, every fiber, every bone in your body, every cell of your being is alive. And it's one whole life. It's an all-encompassing life. Even though it encompasses a lot. It encompasses bones and blood and cells and, and, and atoms and DNA. Ultimately, it's all suffused with life. They're all alive. And many different types of organs from the brain to the heart to the liver, 248 organs, but nevertheless, it's one common denominator. I'm alive. It doesn't matter if it's Oik <laughs> Habashan, the giant, or if it's, if it's a midget or a baby. Life. Life is one... It's, it's the fact that you're alive, the difference between dead and alive, that life is an all-encompassing life. It doesn't get into details. It's not about details or specifics. It encompasses the whole being, that I am alive. It's undifferentiated. But then you have the next level of life, which is what we call mamale He fills all the worlds. That is when you get into details. There's a difference how the brain is alive, how your heart is alive, how your liver is alive, and how your foot is alive. Your brain is alive because your brain thinks. Your brain understands, comprehends. Your heart is alive because your heart has emotions. Your heart feels. Your liver is alive I do it by functioning as a liver. Your foot is alive, your foot moves. So here you're getting into specifics. And each organ has a specific life force that fits that organ. The eye is a vehicle for seeing. You don't hear with your eyes. You don't see with your ears. Your ear is a vehicle for hearing and hearing only, not for anything else. Your eye is a vehicle for seeing and not for anything else. Your mouth for speaking. Your heart for for emotions, for feelings, etc. Every organ has its unique life ability, unique potential. And the life force from the soul matches that unique organ. So this is already a very differentiated a very linear type of life, energy. It's an energy that's very specific and very defined and limited specifically to the capacity of that organ, that it's a vessel, a vehicle for this to express this ability within the soul or this specific ability or that specific ability. Here you're getting into specifics, into details. That's what we call mamale kalaumit. But then you have save of kalama. Save of kalama means it's all encompassing. You can't differentiate it. To use another analogy from, from ordinary life, take for example a symphony, right? An orchestra a symphony. You spend four hours at the symphony, so on, and you, re- you remind yourself of that experience. You remind yourself in one split second, you remind yourself, you have a feeling for that whole entire experience. Now, there were many details that went into that symphony. It was a hundred piece band and there were tens of thousands of different notes and combinations and this. When you think of that evening, of that symphony, are you thinking of all the details, of all the specifics? No. You're just thinking of a general sense. A general sense of, of the whole thing. Yeah, A general feeling. A feeling, you, 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 remind, you summon up a feeling for that whole... That feeling contains thousands and thousands of details. But you're not thinking of the details. You're just thinking of that whole sense of the whole thing. A person. We all have a sense of another person, of each other. You're sitting in the room. and Someone walks into the room. Someone you can't stand. All of a sudden you tense up. Now, you know this person for a long time. There may be hundreds and hundreds and thousands of interactions between the two of you. Do you think of all those interactions? No. Just in one split second, there's just a feeling, a a, a sense, a whole sense of this person that just you capture in one split second. That may include hundreds and thousands and millions of details. Or someone walks into the room that you like, suddenly you feel relaxed. There's a sense about them that I just like this person. I feel comfortable, I feel relaxed is when a person is in a terrible mood and you meet your best friend in the street you physically feel better it's like, it's like, a, low, uh, it's like a, a load off your chest it's like you physically feel wow it's, it's a physical sense what happened? you met this person and this person just summons up such a general good feeling that it just physically makes your heart feel better it's like a stone, stone removed from your chest so you don't think of the millions of details, the interactions between you and everything you know about the person, everything that happened between the two of you over decades. It's just a feeling, all of that together in one sense, one whole sense. So there are two levels of awareness within us. There's a level of awareness which is our ordinary consciousness. Our ordinary consciousness is very linear, very limited, very specific. It's one letter at a time, one word at a time, one detail at a time. If you had, <laughs> if you had to list every detail you knew about this person, it may take you a, few, a year or two. But you don't need to go through that list, that long, long list. There's another sense of awareness, which is all-encompassing. It's all-inclusive. It may include millions of details, but it comes to you in one split second. That's a different level of awareness. It's like a subconscious level of awareness. It's a difference between our conscious level of awareness and our subconscious level of awareness. The subconscious senses the whole, which is all-inclusive, and it's it's an entirely different way of knowing things. It's it's all interrelated, interconnected, and it, it, it it would overwhelm our consciousness. That's why the purpose, the function of the conscious mind is not to take in information. No. The purpose and function of the conscious mind is to block out information. <laughs> because otherwise it will be like an ocean. It would be like the ocean. It would just overwhelm us. It would, it, would, it would flood us. But we can't handle it. Our conscious self simply can't handle We will be overloaded. So the purpose of the conscious mind is to take the ocean and reduce it to a force black out the ocean, and just allow one drop in at a time. Drop by drop by drop. Compare this drop to the ocean, to its source. It's almost a cartoon, a a caricature of how could you compare the ocean, this huge ocean, body of water that's interrelated, interconnected, with removing one drop at a time and taking one drop at a time. That's the comparison between our conscious level and our subconscious level. And that's why our conscious level is almost dull and banal in comparison to the subconscious. That's why for the soul to come into this world is such a traumatic experience. Because the soul's perception of reality, the soul perceives the level of of kalabman, perceives the level of where everything is all interrelated and interconnected and everything is infinite. And then the soul comes into a world which our entire frame of reference is consciousness, which is very limited, very square, very defined, very limited, step by step, word by word, letter by letter. And it reduces all the life. It takes the life out of you. It takes the life out of everything. And we almost become like a cartoon a poor reflection of our, of our real selves. So a person has within them, we have two different levels of awareness. There's a very deep, deep down inside level of awareness, which is our awareness of our subconscious, which is like sovev kalalman. It's, it's all-encompassing. Soviv kalalman doesn't mean it surrounds the world. It's outside of the world. It's within the world. It's the life of the world. But it's an all-encompassing. And because it's all-encompassing, it's all-inclusive. That's why we don't feel it. That's what Kalam is. We're not aware of it. Just like you're not aware of your subconscious. Why aren't you aware of your subconscious? Because it's not there. Of course it's there. That is everything. That's the source. That's it. That is everything. You don't feel it because it's so there and it's so overwhelming that it simply eludes you. It escapes you. We don't have the tools to receive it. And that's why I'm not aware of it. I'm blissfully, I'm, not, I'm completely unaware of what's going on, what's really going on. The creative person, the creative artist has a gift. They have a window to the soul. There's a communication from the subconscious to the conscious. That's the most exciting moment. That's the creative moment. The creative moment is when a window opens up and suddenly there's a communication, seemingly out of nowhere. When you have the eureka moment, you were struggling, trying to understand something, you were puzzled about something, and suddenly a flash A brilliant flash, an intuitive flash, comes seemingly out of nowhere, pops into your head. You have no idea where it came from. Where did it come from? It came from your subconscious. You were totally unaware of it. You have a whole reality inside of you that we're totally unaware of. But the reason we're unaware of it is not because it's not there. We're unaware of it because we don't have the tools to receive it because it would be too overwhelming. It's beyond us. So that's the meaning of Sevim Kalman. It's above us. It's around us. Not because it's not there. It's externally around us. It's within us. It's our core. It's our essence. But it's surrounding us because we're not aware of it. We're not conscious of it. We don't have the tools. It'll lose us. We, we can't capture it. It's beyond us. We could only capture drops. We, can't, we don't have the tools to capture the ocean. So we ignore the ocean. We don't see the ocean. We're oblivious. What do we capture? A drop. And even that we hardly capture. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> some of us capture a little bigger drops than others. But that, that's what we're capable of capturing, those little tiny drops. So that is, so. there's two levels of awareness. There's one level of awareness that's very deep inside of us. It's soyiv of It's like a, an awareness that escapes our conscious attention. But it's there. And the creative person has a window to the soul and is able to make, make that connection. Is able to receive a communication from the subconscious. That's the Cohen. The Cohen is the one who has a a window to the soul. He's able to communicate. He's able to receive from the subconscious. And that's the creative person. The creative person, that's the most exciting. Creativity is the most exciting. It's a novelty. When you have that creative moment, it makes your life worth living. It's the greatest pleasure that a person could have is when you create something. When something new pops into your head. It's the most rewarding, most exciting moment. And that's the creative ability. And then you take that creativity and you develop it and all the way through the 10 road, you develop it until it leads to thought, speech and action. But these are, this is the conscious level. The conscious level is very limited. It's very very limited. It's almost like taking taking a three-dimensional person, projecting a three-dimensional image on a flat surface. What do you get? You get a cartoon. Flat image. image. You get a two-dimensional image. You get a cartoon figure. You're taking a three-dimensional person, and you're projecting it on a flat surface on a piece of paper. It's almost—it's a reflection. Everything comes—it comes from the projection, but it's a poor projection. It's—it's. It's, you lose everything in the in the translation. You lose. What you see is a cartoon. So too, everything comes from our subconscious. Everything comes from our deeper level of awareness. But we're not aware of it. So what do we end up with? We end up with a cartoon. Our whole level of consciousness, this drip, drop, this linear, word by word, letter by letter, detail by detail, mechanical, external, square, defined words, concepts. This is a caricature. This is almost a cartoon of, of the origin, of the source, of the core, the essence. So that's what he says, there's two levels of life. God creates the world and God animates the world, there's two levels of life force, of the divine life force. There is a level of the divine life force which is Seyv of Kalam, which is all-encompassing, all-inclusive, which includes everything, where everything is interrelated, everything is interconnected, everything is, is one dynamic whole. The past, the present, the future is all linked. Every space is linked. All people, it's all, all the souls are connected. It, it's, it's a different understanding and appreciation of life. That's, that's the deeper reality of life. And then you have the level of life where God animates every specific detail as an isolated detail, as a specific detail. Every time has its unique energy. Every day has its unique energy. People who are sensitive can feel. Tuesday has its own energy. Sunday has its own energy. every day has its own energy. Every space in this world has its own energy. There's a land that gives birth to wise people. There's a land that gives birth to fools. Every space has an energy, uplifting energy. Uh, Every every human being has an energy that they give off. Their own unique flavor, their own unique energy. There aren't two human beings that are alike. There never was anyone like you, never will be anyone like you. Everyone gives off their own unique energy. Just like within the human body. Every space in the human body has something unique to it. The brain is one thing and the heart is another thing and the eye is another thing. So this is already a differentiated energy. This is an energy that already is finite, is limited and is defined by the vessel where the body, so to speak, matches the soul. But then you have an energy which totally is all-encompassing, which transcends the specific of the detail. And even though that's the core and the essence, but you don't feel it, you don't sense that energy. Just like the life within us. What do we notice? We don't notice the life within us. We notice the ability to think, the ability to speak, the ability to feel, the specifics we notice, the details we notice. But the bigger picture we don't notice. We're not aware of it. We don't see the forest from the trees. We see the trees, but we don't see the forest. Not that the forest is not there. The forest is everything. That is, what is the trees? It's just a part of the forest. But you don't see the forest. You don't notice the forest. All you notice is the trees. Just like within the human body. You notice the details. You don't notice, sense the general life force, the general vitality, the fact that you're alive and so too when God creates the world and God animates the world there are two types of energies there's the divine energy which is an all-encompassing energy where there is no difference between the tiny bug the amoeba the atom to the, to, to, to the greatest uh, creature in the universe or to the angel it's all-encompassing God encompasses all of creation in one whole one whole undivisible energy and then you have the very specific energy where there are no two snowflakes that are alike. Where every single thing in the universe has its own unique energy and its own unique flavor and its own unique... And that's an energy that we can sense. You can feel. We can feel the energy inside of us. We can feel the special energy of a human being. We feel the special energy of an animal. The special energy of a tree. That's an energy you can feel, you can sense. Because that's a specific energy. But the general energy, the fact that God is creating us, that we're alive, that we exist, which is only by the divine energy that's creating us, that energy we don't sense. We don't feel. Not because it's not there. It's totally there. That is the core. That is the essence. There is nothing else but that. But that we don't sense because it's infinite. It's all-encompassing. We don't have the capacity to sense that. We only have the capacity to sense the tree. We don't have the capacity to sense the forest, to sense the whole. So therefore we say it doesn't exist. That's why creation is called something from nothing. Yesh ma'ayin. Why is it called yesh ma'ayin, something from nothing? If anything, it should have been called nothing from something. We're nothing. (laughs) And the divine energy that creates us, that is something, that is reality. The atoms that are, that are creating this table, that's, that's reality, not the table. It's not something from nothing. It's nothing from something. And one of the reasons it's called nothing is because to us it's nothing. It doesn't exist. In our world it doesn't exist. We don't know what it is. We don't have the capacity to grasp it. We don't have the capacity to comprehend it. And because we don't have the capacity to comprehend it or to grasp it, Therefore, we don't even know it. We don't even know its existence. So to us, we say it's nothing. Anything that we can grab with our hands, like a baby, a baby has to touch it. If I can't grab it with my hands, if I can't grasp it with my mind, it doesn't exist. Which is very foolish. (laughs) The only thing you could grasp with your mind is something that's very narrow, very limited. You can grasp the drop of the ocean. You can't grasp the ocean. Therefore, the ocean doesn't exist. The ocean is the source of the drop. All you can grasp is the drop. So your whole world is the drop. You deny anything else. You deny the infinite. You deny the source. You deny. So to us, we call it nothing. This is something, because the table I can see, the table I can bang my head on, atoms, energy, that I, I don't know. I can see it. As far as I know, it's nothing. It doesn't exist. Even though that's everything the energy is everything but i don't see it i don't see it it's not so siva of Kalaman, the energy with which is really the energy with which god creates everything that is the ultimate energy that is the root that is the source that is the ultimate energy but to me i don't know i don't know it i don't see it i don't feel it so to me i say it's around me siva of kolam where is god i don't know he's around me he's up there in heaven he's he's there it's not my reality
2: We we have this capacity. We can't see it, but we have the capacity. And we have the capacity to use these these things. We use microwaves and x-rays and all kinds of things we can't see. We still use.
1: But again, it's not something that comes natural. It's something that you have to study. In the lab, you can study and you can prove that there is an atom. And even after you study it, you have to also internalize that fact. Because the fact that there are atoms and that really should really change your life. The scientist doesn't really do anything with that. He just studies it and makes nice machines with it. But ultimately, the Torah does something with that knowledge. The Torah doesn't just say, hey, you know, matter is really energy and go back to sleep. Matter is energy and therefore change your life. You have to live your life accordingly. It means it has to affect your behavior. It's a reality. So that, But that takes meditation. That, takes, that doesn't happen instinctively. It doesn't happen naturally we have
0: the capacity to do that, because otherwise we wouldn't
1: be able to do it. Yes, we have the capacity, but with great struggle and with great effort. It's not natural for us.
2: But everybody has that
1: capacity. Yes, because, it, because that, that is the reality. But, it, but that's education. You have, to, you have to, it doesn't come naturally and instinctively. Because instinctively, we could only make sense of what we call mamalik the energy with which God fills the world. Just like the body the soul fills the body. The soul fills the mind, the mind comprehends. The soul fills the heart, the heart pumps with emotion. The, 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 the gut, the, so the God fills every creature. A human being has their ability, the ability to imagine, the ability to think. Animals have their ability to roam, to move. Plant life has their ability to grow. So you can see the energy, you can see its life force that it has. That's a, a life force I can relate to. But the life force that I can't relate to, and that's the primary life force, is what we, we call the divine energy that's all-encompassing. And I don't see it and I can't relate to it because it's so, it's so penetrates to the very core and essence of everything, therefore it eludes me and I can't relate to it. But it's there and present and real.
2: Because everything's awash with it, we are also, we can't distinguish it.
1: Right. The reason you don't see God is not because God is not here. Because God is all over. That's why you don't see it. (laughs) You don't see the forest. Why don't you see the forest? You're in the forest and you don't see the forest. Because the forest. I don't see the forest. I just see the tree. Because we we are almost hardwired. The human being is almost hardwired. God created us this way. It's not by accident. We are almost hardwired to see the tree and not the forest. We see the details. We see the drop. We see the linear. We see the letter, the word, the concept, step by step by step. We're not, we don't have the capacity to see the whole. That's the subconscious within us, which we're not aware of. We don't have the capacity. It would overwhelm us. It would flood us. It would destroy us. The tzaddik, the navi, the prophet and the prophets, is called meshuggah. It's called meshuggah. Hanavi, nikra meshuggah. Why is it called meshuggah? What do we call a madman? Well, who's a madman? A m- <laughs> A madman is someone, our brain comes with a filter. A madman is someone who's born without a filter. He sees too much. (laughs) He sees too much. And because he sees too much, he doesn't have the limits that we have. Not every madman is a prophet. But a prophet, you say a prophet is mad. A prophet doesn't have the filters, the veil that, that's hardwired within us. That's, that feels so natural to us. A, a, a tzaddik, a navi, is a soul that was born without that veil. And therefore the tzaddik sees through the facade, sees through the pettiness of human beings, of life. The, the, the pursuit for money, for fame, for power, holds no interest for the tzaddik. He sees how ridiculous it is. He sees the ridiculousness, the absurdity, the superficiality, the pettiness of human beings, of life, of society, how external how superficial it is. Because the tzaddik's soul, the tzaddik has, is, has, is in touch with that subconscious perception of reality. The tzaddik sees the more infinite, all-encompassing, godly reality. And therefore, the world is no temptation for him. The he's he's repulsed by it he's disgusted by it he sees through it he finds it revolting because that's why the tzaddik is called a madman he doesn't have the, the, the filters the limitations that we were born with that's why he doesn't fit in with the world they wanted to stone all the prophets they did stone some of them and kill them because the prophet was their voice of conscience the prophet disturbed their sleep the prophet tried to wake them up from their deep sleep Everyone was asleep in the pursuit of money and fame and power, and forgot about morality and ethics and forgot about godliness and their godly soul. And the prophet was there to wake them up. So, it's it's not in, it's counterintuitive. It's it's it goes against our deeply ingrained habit. God created us, hardwired, and it's so deeply ingrained in us to think linearly and to be that's our ego consciousness and to sense to have that sense of self. And you are you, and I am I. And and we are separate. And everything is defined, and everything is separate, and everything, while on the the atomic level, everything is interrelated, everything is interconnected. There's no separation, it's all one. It's it's an entirely different uh, understanding and perception of reality. But that is the ultimate reality. But that's all-encompassing, it escapes us, it eludes us. So we don't see God, because God is all over and that's why we don't see God God is so real it's right before our eyes God is not hiding it's right before our eyes right in front of us and God? what God? where's God? who's God? what? I exist that's all I see is myself I don't see anyone else I don't see God I don't see anyone else when you see someone else you see God when you see God you see someone else but you put a blind you have a blind in front of your eyes and it blocks everything I don't see anything all I see is myself. All I see is the drop, the cartoon, the caricature. And that becomes your whole life. Torah mitzvot is to live your life expressing the inner truth, the divine truth, the all encompassing truth, the ultimate reality, the unity of everything. So this is what he calls Sovev Kalam. Let's learn inside. Second paragraph from the bottom, 929. And this is also the meaning of he encompasses all the worlds. So encompasses all the worlds means that God is not defined by the world. God def- defines all the worlds, but he is not defined by the world. God grasps all the worlds, but the worlds do not grasp him. How is it possible? God grasps all the worlds. He's in the world, and yet the world does not grasp him. God defines the world and yet at the same time the world does not define him. How is it possible? He's trying to help us understand how is it possible that you say that God is in the world, God creates the world, there's nothing but God and at the same time God is completely undefined by the world. It seems to be a contradiction, a paradox. He says, no, this is what we mean that God encompasses all the worlds. Continue. This This does not
0: mean to say heaven for that God is not found within the worlds but merely encompasses them. Rather, this means, by way of analogy, when a person reflects upon an intellectual subject in his mind or upon a physical object in his thoughts, and his intellect and thought encompass that subject whose image is formed in his thought or in his mind, inasmuch as they are found within his thought and mind. But they, his intellect and thought, do not encompass that subject in actual fact. They merely encompass his image of the subject, not the actual subject. When one envisions a table, the actual physical table is of course not found within the brain. It is merely its image that is encompassed there. The Holy One, blessed be He, however, of whom it is written, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. His thought and knowledge of all created beings actually encompass each and every creature. For Hashem's knowledge is verily its life force, and that which brings it into existence out of nothingness in actual reality. Hashem's thought, unlike man's, thus encompasses the actual subject of his thought, in this case all created beings. It brings about their creation and continued existence, even though it does not descend to their level and become internalized within them,
1: but remains in an exalted state. He's bringing a human analogy when you think about something. So your mind is thinking, thinking about envisioning, imagining a table or something, a place. It's appearance. What it? We don't actually, we just... You think about it. The table is not in your mind, but the image of the table is in your mind. So your mind encompasses the table. So he's saying, for example, let's say you're imagining. You're daydreaming. You're sitting at this class and you're daydreaming. And you're daydreaming, whatever it is. In your daydreams, it's your same thought that's thinking of the table, of a person, whatever you happen to be thinking about. So really, it's all made up of the same substance, which is? Your thought. There's no difference between the table, or the person, a big person, small person, whatever it is. It's all, the energy is, it's all your thoughts. So the substance is the same. It's the same thought Whatever you're thinking of, it's the same thought. It's your thought. The only difference is that a human being, you're not really... Your energy, you're not really... There, there is no table there and there is no person there. So, of course, it's all your thought. But with Hashem, when God imagines something, then He brings it into existence. God's imagination creates it. What's this, what's this cup of water? What's this pitcher of water? It's God's imagining the water. That's why the water is here. If God would not be imagining this uh, bucket of ice, this bucket of ice would not be here. If God would not be imagining those nuts, those peanuts, it wouldn't be here. God is imagining and thinking each and every moment, everything that exists from beginning to end. So God's thinking and thoughts and imagination and speech bring it into existence. But the analogy is just like when a human being, when we think something, nothing happens. Even when we, do so, we, think, we speak something, nothing happens. But when we think, surely nothing happens. But, but just the analogy when you think everything that happens in your mind is all made up it's all your thoughts it's all your energy it's all the same thing what's the stuff here in the physical world I see a difference there's a table there's water there's a person three different entities but when you're imagining imagine you're imagining that we're all sitting around the table so in your thoughts you're thinking of the table you're thinking of the person you're thinking of it's all the same thing it's all the thought. there's no difference The energy is the same, the thought, the imagination is the same. It's the same imagination that's the same substance that's thinking of the table and thinking of the person. In your head, you see a person, you see a table, but it's really all in your head. It's all your imagination. So there is no difference. So too, when God who imagines and his imagination actually creates the table and he creates us and a table has its unique characteristics and qualities, it's an inanimate, A a, a tree has its unique qualities. It grows. Animal has its unique qualities. It moves. A person has its unique qualities. We also have the ability to imagine and to think. But it's all made up of what? Of the same substance. It's made up of the divine energy, of the divine imagination. So to God, there really is no difference. God is not, there's no differentiation. There's no difference between the table, from God's point of view, from the concept of Masav of from God's all-encompassing perspective. There is no difference between the chair and the, and the table and the animal and the tree and the human being and the angel. It's all made up of the same thing which is the divine energy. Is
0: there a difference between an actual thing
2: and a potential thing in God's... Is, is there a, any kind of difference in,
0: in God's way of... Imagining?
1: No, that's what we learned earlier. God says, I haven't changed even before He created and after He created because... By God, potential is not a lack. By us, potential... There's a big gap between potential and actual. By God, there is no gap. Because everything that exists already already was there. There's nothing new. You can't create something you don't have. So obviously, whatever was there was, it was, was before, you know, within God. So what happened? There's not, no change, nothing new happened. It's not like there's God and now there's something else. Whatever there's something else... Already was within God. So nothing happened. On the, on, on the contrary, action is actually a lack, is, is a chisaron, because now it's physical and tangible. When it was within God, all there was was God. And now, now it, it's something limited and tangible and physical. If anything, it's actually a lack. Potential is, is more genuine than a, action. By us, it's just the opposite. Action is more genuine than potential. If it's only potential and it never is realized, it's a, big, it's a big disadvantage. Most people, their lives are like that. Most people, their lives are filled with potential and 90% of that potential is not realized. That's, that's the tragedy of life. That's the meaning of exile. When there's such a gap between potential and actual. That's the human condition. But with God, this is the opposite. The actual is actually a disadvantage. The potential is it's in the source. It's in the source, it's perfect. And when, when it's created and it becomes actualized and it leaves, and so to speak, leaves the source, that is actually a disadvantage. Because within God, that, this same thing exists, was within God in a much more perfect form, in a higher form. In a, so, if anything, the, act, the actual is actually a disadvantage. So, there is no difference, there is no change by God before and after. So he's just using the human analogy. Just like when you imagine something, when you dream of something, when you think of something. It's all the same energy. The same energy as thinking of the table, the person, the tree, the animal. It's all your imagination. It's made up of the same substance, your imagination, your energy. But it's only in your head. Nothing really happens. It's only your imagination. But that's the closest analogy we can get to. So just like there, although... You're imagining a tree, and you're imagining a person, and you're imagining an animal, and an angel, and it's, it's different types of creatures. But nevertheless, it's really all the same thing. It's all the same substance, undifferentiated. It's your energy. So what's so too with God, when God's energy creates, when God imagines, and God thinks his imagination actually results in a tree. When God is thinking of the water, that's why we have Water. God is imagining a tree, that's why we have a tree. God is imagining a, us, that's why, we, that's why we exist. God is imagining angels, that's why we have angels. But, God, but just like in the human analogy, they're really made up of the same substance. The angel, the human being, the animal, the tree, the, the stone, it's all made, the atom, the amoeba, it's all made up of the same substance. The cell, the chemicals, all made up of the same substance, which is the divine energy. So on one hand, God is creating it, and God is, is its entire reality. At the core and at the essence, all it is is really the divine energy. God's creative energy that's bringing everything into existence. But on the other hand, God is not defined by it. He's not affected by it. Because it's undifferentiated. From God's point of view, there's, there's no difference. Animal, angel, it's all the same.
0: Then how can we say that a person who sees something affects the item being looked at?
1: and at the subatomic level the the uh, the scientists notice that you affect the equilibrium of the atoms you're you're part of the picture you're not just an observer a cold detached objective observer you affect the result because on the deeper level you can't differentiate between objective subjective it's all one whole undivisible self that's more that's more from the level of saivav kalam where everything is one and everything is interrelated and everything is interconnected and you can't linearly divide between objective the observer and observed and you know it all interlinks and interconnected so that, that's from a much deeper much more spiritual much more profound genuine reality
0: but that, but that is how we operate that is how the whole world operates.
1: No, on the visible level, we don't see that. It's only on the, when you get to the deeper levels of reality. On the, on the surface level, you can't see. You don't see that at all. It's only on the subatomic level that you see that, that you affect that. Because it's only on that level of reality that you can see it and sense it, that truth. On a superficial level, you can see it. The Torah tells us that's true, that whatever you do affects the whole world. That You can't be an observant Jew. There's no such thing as an observing Jew. Can't be observing, you have to participate, and whatever you do affects not only yourself, affects the whole world. But we
0: don't see the result
1: in that. right? But I don't want to get off the subject. But the, the idea he's trying to explain there that save of Kalaman Hashem creates the world, is in the world, animates the world like the soul and the body. But that's where the analogy ends because the soul is defined by the body, Hashem is in the world and creates the world, and is not, not just primary. But Hashem is not defined by the body. That very energy with which it creates the world is an undifferentiated energy that at the same time, simultaneously, creates all time, all space, all creatures, where every creature is unique, every creature has its own unique energy, is different, and at the same time, it's really all the same. It's really the divine energy. It's undifferentiated. So he's explaining here a very, very deep, very profound concept that it's, it's maybe a little difficult for us to relate to because... <laughs> because because you know, we don't think in those terms. Our whole frame of reference is very linear, very differentiated, and here he's describing how really ultimately everything is really one and the same, and the closest analogy he's getting to is when a person thinks and imagines. When you think and you imagine, you can think of a million different things, but in your head it's really all one. It's really the same energy. It's all your imagination. That's all they are, is imagination. It's made up of the same substance.
0: Nothing happens to
1: it. Oh, but the only difference is it's a, because nothing happens, so it's not a good analogy. When Hashem imagines, something happens. That's why, that's why we're here. That's why we're here talking right now because Hashem is imagining us and thinking about us. So when Hashem imagines, something happens. But at the same time, Hashem is imagining us. He's imagining the angels in heaven right this second. And he's imagining the amoeba, and He's imagining the Adam and the tree and the stone. So even though to us, And each one has its own unique qualities and characteristics. The stone and the tree and the animal and the person and the angel. But to Hashem, ultimately it's really the same energy. It's the divine energy. There is no difference. It's all-encompassing. It's one whole undivisible self. So Hashem is not defined by the limitations. He's not defined by the body or by the material or by the physical or by the unique properties and characteristics of each unique creature and each unique entity. He remains infinite. And He remains undefined. At the same time that he's within us and creating us and sustaining us and animating us, at the same time he's undefined. That's where the analogy to the body breaks down. It's not a good analogy because the soul is defined by the body. God, at the same time that he's creating us and animating us and sustaining us, is not defined by the body. He remains totally unaffected by the, by, by the world that he creates. And that's why the prophet says, "Ani Hashem God is unchanged creation doesn't change him doesn't affect him, doesn't define him. not that God is not creating God is creating only God creates there's nothing but God everything is really the divine energy but at the same time he's totally undefined man, unchanged unaffected
0: so science is not going to be able to prove God's existence Ah,
1: oh, very good right
0: so why is he affected by our misfit oh, no,
1: that's different the misfit come from God's essence God. that's a relationship that's a marriage that, that's what God wants. That's what God cares about. God is affected by mitzvahs. God chose to be affected by mitzvahs because God wanted to have a marriage and He wanted to have a relationship. And He's affected by our mitzvahs. He's affected by our accepting upon ourselves to willingly enter into a relationship with God. That affects Him profoundly. and affects Him deeply. But the, not, but the physical world in itself, the world, the creation, even the spiritual world, Even the heavens, the heaven of heavens, the angels, the whole universe. All the laws of the universe. Not only scientific law, psychological law, metaphysical law, spiritual, cosmic laws. Everything in the universe has laws and rules. Energy, physical, God is completely undefined by it. That's the difference between the Jew and the non-Jew. All religions, including mysticisms, the Eastern mysticisms. To them, God is energy soul, spirituality. And to the Jew, God is sov of God is undefined. You can't grasp God through energy. You can't grasp God through crystals. You can't grasp. God is undefined. God is not defined by any of these. The only way, you, and that's why to a Jew, I can grab God and touch God by putting on tefillin. More than I could through meditation. Leather heart of an animal. You light a Shabbat candle, you eat a piece of matzah that's made of, of, of flour, physical. How can you connect with God through eating? I understand that you can connect with God through meditation, through love, through spirituality. But to connect to God through physically eating a piece of matzah, that's how you connect with God. And the answer is, because just like you, can, you think you can't connect to God through material, you, who says you can connect with God through spiritual? You can't connect to God through spiritual either. God is not spiritual. God is undefined. God is not grasped in the world. You can't grasp God. Even the angels can't grasp God. God is undefined. To God there is no difference between material and spiritual. It's all the same. And if God cho- chooses and says by you eating matzah and Pesach, you have a mitzvah and you connect with me, you touch me and I hug you and I embrace you, and by you putting on tefillin, and by you lighting a Shabbat candle, and by you giving a penny to tzedakah, to charity, you touch me, by you doing an act of kindness, you touch me, then that's how you connect with God. More so than you connect through meditation, and love, and philosophy. So this is the revolution of the Jew. The Jew appreciates something that no one else sees. Everyone else sees the forest, sees the trees whether it's material or whether it's spiritual. The Jew sees the forest. The Jew sees the whole picture. The Jew doesn't get caught up in the bureaucracy of the universe. Not in the physical bureaucracy of the universe, the scientific bureaucracy, and not even in the metaphysical bureaucracy of the universe. (laughs) In the spiritual stops, all the spiritual stations. So this is the concept of Save of And he uses the beautiful analogy, the closest we can get to as a human being, in your mind, in your imagination, you encompass something. When you encompass something, it doesn't matter what you encompass. It's all the same. It's the same energy. When God encompasses everything, and God encompassing actually creates it, God's encompassing is also the same. From God's perspective, from the ultimate perspective, the truth is that it's really all the same. The angel, the human being, the animal, the tree, the stone is made up of the same substance, the divine energy. With all the differences, notwithstanding, The huge differentiations between all of them. It's all the infinite. It's the infinite, godly, creative ability to create something from nothing. The ability that God has to think and to bring something into existence. We think and nothing happens. God thinks and something happens that divine creative ability, that's really the same substance behind everything. What difference does it make if it's spiritual, or if it's energy, or if it's higher levels of consciousness, or if it's sublime music, or exotic art, whatever it may be, or something mundane, physical material, amoeba, a stone, a pebble, a bug, makes no difference. It's all the same. So God is not defined by the world. He's not defined by it. Not like the soul that's defined by the body. It's affected by the body. So God is within the world. He creates the world. He sustains the world. He animates the world. And at the same time, He totally transcends the world. He's totally undefined by the world. So God's undefined essence, what this is telling us, is not that God is up there. On the contrary, God's undefined essence is right here before you, in front of you. Is accessible. God is here in His entire essence. There's no symptom, there's no contraction, there's no removal, he hasn't walked out of the room, God forbid. God is here, his entire essence is here, as undefined beings, undefined essences, undefined self is here in its full glory. Not only his essence is infinite light, everything is here, nothing changed. God is right here before us, totally here, totally present, totally accessible, totally available. The exact opposite of those who said that Tzimtzum is literally, that God basically removed himself from this world and he created a very dark, physical, material world. Hasidism, the philosophy of Hasidism, which is the foundation of the Hasidic philosophy, is on the contrary. That what appears to be a dark world is in truth, at its core and at its essence. God is present here with his entire being, his entire glory, his entire essence. And he's available, he's accessible, he's right here before us. And that's the mission of a Jew, to reveal that truth. To make this world a dwelling place for God, to show that God is at home here. God's essence is in this world, in this physical world, with us. Every point in time, every point of space, every detail in our life, every part of our life, every aspect of our life is permeated with the revelation of God's essence to reveal Hashem's presence in this world. God is at home here. This world is a temple for Hashem, a place where God says, I feel totally at home this is a revolutionary way of looking at this world. Imagine the Jew who suffered more than anyone else. If there's anyone who could look at this world as a dark place, if there's anyone who could really classify this world as a real deep, dark exile, deep, dark place, Hasidus lit a, lit a torch that Tov took the darkness and he lit such a torch, such an illumination, and he revealed to us that the truth is Hashem is right here. Hashem is right in front of your nose. In His whole essence. He's available. Not only when you study Torah, do mitzvah. He's available 24-7. Whatever you're doing, your table becomes an altar. The act of eating becomes, I'm offering a sacrifice to Hashem. The act of doing business becomes part of serving Hashem. I'm God's ambassador. I'm on a mission. I'm connected. I'm with Him every step of the way. Hashem is with me every step of the way. Everything is divine providence. Everything is a kachapratit. Hashem is with me every moment, every step of the way the business person sees it much more than the rabbi does. The business person opens his eyes and sees the miracles that happen in business. The one-in-a-million-chance meeting. You read every successful autobiography, there's always that one-in-a-million-chance meeting that made you rich. You were born to the, to the president or other things like that. And, and um, the, the, oh, you see the divine miracles, the open miracles the one in a million chance you meet the right person at the right time, you're at the right place and you were tremendously successful. So all of it, if you open your eyes, you realize it's not luck, There's not such a thing as luck, it's, it's divine providence. Hashem is with you every step of the way. And if you open your eyes, you see that Hashem is present and Hashem's essence. You want to find Hashem, you can find Hashem's essence in everything, in every detail of your life in every aspect of your life, throughout your life. It permeates everything.
2: What about hard work? Where does that figure into all this? The luck? I used to always say people want to find the secret to success from people is a little luck and a lot of hard work. Does your effort on that part play a role in the luck? In, in the in doesn't your effort or maybe it's just part of the grander scheme? But your effort is part of the divine, and it's just, it's not easy to be visible to the common person.
1: Hard work is uh, is overrated. You if you go in the sub. If you go in the subway, uh, you find many musicians. That you wonder why the people on the charts on the charts, the people on the charts should be singing in the subway, <laughs> and the people in the subway should actually should have the charts because they're so talented, so brilliant. The Talmud says everything needs mazel. Even a sefer Torah needs a mazel. Which which Torah are you going to read from? So every, everything in the world needs a mazel. That people who will work very hard and are not successful. It it's it's not. It's that element. Every every success story has that inexplicable element that people call luck. You were at the right time, at the right place, you met the right person, and you came up with that perfect product that everyone needed, and was like, and suddenly it just took off like, like, like wildfire, and it just. Um, so does that mean
2: it's not worth
0: working hard?
1: No, it doesn't. A person has to work because you have to make a vessel. Just like if you sit home, God is not going to wire your money. Even if you have all the mazel in the world, if you sit home and you refuse to lift the fork. In the history of mankind, it never happened that God should feed you. He puts, the, he puts the food, We also gave you the brain, to create a knife and a fork, and to pick up, it gave you the energy to pick up the hand and to use it. That's also God. So you have to do, you have to work in a natural way. Obviously, to become very rich, you can have to work harder than someone who gets paid nine to five. So the idea is a person has to make a vessel. But what the Torah tells us is, a person should not be so consumed by the work, that they can't keep Shabbat. So consumed by the work that they can't come seven o'clock in the morning to Daven. So consumed by the work that they have no time <laughs> So consumed 45. <laughs> so, okay, that, that's nothing to do with work, right? So consumed by work, that you have no time to come to learn. Because a person who thinks that it's my hard work, that's going to make me the money, the, work, the, the money comes from Hashem and Mazel. So if you find time to study Torah, and you find time to daven, and you find time to help another person, and you keep Shabbat, that will, that will give you the blessing. It's amazing. The one area in your life you have no control over, zero control over, that's the one area in your life that everyone is busy with, and have no time for anything else. The one area in your life that you have total control over, that's the one area people neglect. I'm too busy. I have no time. The one area in your life you have no control over is how much money you're going to earn. It says a person will not earn one penny more than it's the creed on Rosh Hashanah. No matter what you do. So that's one area in your life you have zero control over. And people are so busy they have no time for their family, no time for anything else. However, the one area in your life you do have control over, which is your morality, Your ethics. Studying Torah, doing mitzvot, working on your personality, working on your character, becoming a better person, being a kinder person. That area, I have no time, I'm too busy. Isn't it foolish? The one area in your life you have total control, Hashem says you have freedom of choice. It's up to you. Your moral decisions, your ethical decisions, it's up to you. That's the one area in your life people have no time to study Torah, no time to develop.
2: But doesn't God want you to work hard too? Like when you when you at the at the office nine to five, doesn't he want you Yes and sometimes I'm not there. I mean maybe I'm not perfect. He wants you to give <laughs> 110 percent He doesn't want that because it's for the employer and it's
1: absolutely work
2: supports so many other people and all Absolutely.
1: You have to do you have to be honest. You have to work honestly. Yeah,
2: but there's honestly and then it's giving that extra ten percent. Doesn't he want you to give the extra ten yes. percent? Yes,
1: you have to you have to do a good job. But your mind, your pleasure Your highlight has to be elsewhere. The highlight of your day, there are people who work very hard. Because why? At the end of the day, at the end of the week, they're going to go on their ski trip. They live all week for that ski trip. So they work hard. They work like dogs. But they know at the end of the day, I'm going to go to my favorite restaurant. I'm going to splurge. That's the highlight of my week. A Jew has to have a highlight. The highlight of my week is that half hour a day that I'm going to study Torah. Yes, I'm working 18 hours. I'm only studying a half hour. But the 18 hours is not my highlight. That's not how I define myself. That's something I have to do. And I have to honestly, and I have to do a good day's work. But what's the highlight? Like Yaakov, we, we learn all these laws from Yaakov, from Jacob, our forefather. He worked during the day. He worked during the night for Laban, for Lavan. He worked very hard. He says that during the day, the sun beat on me at night in the Middle East turns very cold at night I was freezing at night during the day the sun beat on me he worked very hard 20 years he worked very hard and you have to be you have to do an honest day's work but your highlight of your day is not the 20 hours you work the highlight of your day is the half hour that you study Torah that's what you look forward that's what gives you the energy that's what the Hashem wants 6 days a week 6 days a week you work 1 day a week is Shabbos doesn't say six days a week Shabbos, one day a week work.
2: The laws of Shabbos intent is very, very important. Not essentially what you did, but why you did it. Right. If a person views the Torah more as an obligation than as something he enjoys, is it looked upon less on a less high level from God, or the fact that he did it even in spite of the fact that he really doesn't want to? He feels he's kind of compelled through. There's not, there's no Kavana there. Is, is there, is there a
1: of course, ideally, a person Kavana is very important. A person has to pour your heart and soul into what you do. A person has to be consistent and whole. Just like God is one, if you're doing a mitzvah, which is divine, you should also become unified. Your whole mind should be in the mitzvah, your heart should be in the mitzvah, your attention should be focused on the mitzvah, your pleasure, your will. But even if you only do the mitzvah, we live in a world of action. The deed is what matters. The deed is done. Because you know what? Deep down, every Jew wants to do a mitzvah. Every Jew deep down is a fiery Jew, is a passionate Jew, is on fire, even if you don't know it. Even if superficially you think it's a burden and you're forcing yourself to do it and it's a mechanical, external, superficial thing. Deep down, your subconscious, your soul has a life of its own. Your soul is on fire. And when you do a mitzvah on the deepest levels, it resonates inside of you. And that's why a Jew never regrets doing a mitzvah. You feel like a million dollars. When you do a sin, the moment you do it, you already regret it. Before you even uh, end, you already regret it. That's why a Jew never does a sin wholeheartedly. Every sin that a Jew, it says everything you do, you create an angel. You create a positive thing, you create a, a healthy angel, a good angel. You do a negative thing, you create a negative angel a negative energy you brought a negative energy into this world and they later on that's the punishment the negative energy creates negative things in your life it's a consequence but every negative angel that a Jew creates is a little crippled a little (laughs) it's not a whole it's not a healthy vibrant uh, Olympic (laughs) Olympic angel (laughs) it's a very it's a little broken because a Jew whatever he does deep down is a little broken hearted you sin you're weak you fall through But immediately you regret it and deep down you're not happy and you're miserable and you feel guilty ten times over. So the angel is not a complete angel. The angel is a little missing a hand there, missing a foot there, (laughs) limping along. But when a Jew does a mitzvah, deep down every Jew wants wants to do a mitzvah. And that's why even if you don't do it wholeheartedly, Hashem, the angel is, because deep down there is passion. Even though you don't see the passion, you don't feel the passion. But there is passion deep down. Your whole being is connected to that mitzvah. Even if you don't know it, you're not aware of it. You're totally uh, unaware. Thank God we're not who we think we are. Thank God we have a whole life inside of us that we're totally oblivious. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Deep down, there's a whole reality inside of us that we're not aware of. But every Jew has it. To be continued. So now we finish Seyed of and next week he's going to explain what Mamali Kalalman is, how he fills all the worlds.
0: Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.